Jesse Douglas Smith McGraw, and this is What Moves You with Jesse. I'm a transformative coach on a mission to share an understanding of how our minds work that challenges how we react to life and our thoughts. I love to share stories and common sense ideas that empower you to take charge of yourself in a way that brings immediate and profound change. What I know to be true is that we are all innately healthy and doing our best with the thinking we have available to us on a moment-to-moment basis. And waking up to this will change what moves you. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. I am so excited to share today's guest with you. She is a true quadruple threat, being an award-winning actress, singer, musician, dancer, as well as a songwriter, producer, and fantastic human being. It would truly take me an hour to go through her resume. (laughs) But some highlights that I must share, because my humble guest doesn't get too into the details during our interview, include playing the role of Vanessa in the first national Broadway tour of Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights. She was Kiki, the lead singer, violinist, guitarist of the hit Nickelodeon TV show, The Fresh Beat Band, that also went on tour where she sold out Madison Square Garden four times, performed in the 85th Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, sold out a U.S. tour for one million fans, was on the cover of Polestar Magazine, rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange, and had two number one albums on iTunes. Whew, deep breath, because we're not done yet. (laughs) She originated the role of Fate in the hit Grammy and Tony award-winning Broadway musical Hadestown, garnering eight Tony Awards, including Best New Musical. She has performed beside countless superstars, has had her original music featured in film and television, and she is currently sharing the lead role of Satine in the national Broadway tour of Moulin Rouge. Who, as Parade Magazine so perfectly stated, is there anything she can't do? (laughs) Listening back to this episode, I found it completely inspiring because we go deep into the human experience. And no matter if you are an artist or performer yourself, you are going to find incredible nuggets of wisdom for life. So, without further ado, here is Yvette Gonzalez Nasser. Hi, Yvette. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> it is so wonderful to have pinned you down for this podcast. Thank Thank you you for having me. (laughs) No, but truly, honestly, all jokes aside, thank you so much for joining me. I am so thrilled to be able to to share you with my listeners. Um, I... If you if you don't mind, can I start with the reason why I even asked you why to, to be on here? Yes, I want to know too. <laughs> 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 so, um, just so everyone kind of has a sense, um, you know, of of you in my life, you know, we have been 
um, it's almost like we've been friends on the fringe of each other, you know, with, of, for so many years, really quite, quite a lot, a long time. Um, and I've had this really lucky position to be able to observe your life from afar and, but also feel really heart connected to you. Um, I'm trying to hold back the tears because this always happens. Everybody's used to it, <laughs> but um, I have always just been of such an admirer of your talent and what you do with that talent. Oh, I love you, lady. <laughs> <laughs> because truly. <clears throat> The second I think I know everything that you do, you come out with some other some other new thing from the, your back pocket, and you're you know, and you're going into some other new genre of of the creative world, and I just um, it's always just been so uh, incredible to watch. And when you and I had had lunch, you know, whenever that was a couple months ago. Um, it really hit me that I wanted to share you and share your process and even just have the opportunity to ask you more about it. Even if you're like, there is no process. I just follow an instinct. I just would love to get to know more part, more about that, about you, because um, it's just been kind of an amazing thing. It's been kind of mind blowing to watch you go from literally, you know, TV to live performance to Broadway to, you know, and it's like, you're acting over here, you're singing. And then, you know, you've also played on some of our dear friends albums, you know, playing beautiful violin, you know, Mike will, you know, say, you know, we had a vet in to play on a song and you'll sound like you're doing bluegrass one moment and then beautiful, you know, it's just, it's, it's really quite mind blowing that how your talent is, is unending. So thank you so much for coming on truly. That's so kind. Thank you, Jesse. That means a lot. Oh, Especially because a lot of times I'm like, just, well, we'll talk about it, but yeah, that just means a lot. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of set the stage for us. And again, this is almost me learning, learning for the first time myself, because I haven't really had the opportunity to ever like, sit down at a party and be like, Yvette, tell me about like, where the hell do you come from? <laughs> That's right. So, so get, so where, you know, give us kind of the start from the beginning. Where, where are you from? I actually don't really, this, I'm shy to say it, but I actually don't know. <laughs> That's okay. I was born in Miami, Florida and my family's from Cuba and yeah, I was born and raised there and I moved to Los Angeles, um, probably when I was like 20, maybe. I graduated college really young. I was 19. It's a long story. I started school early, so I was able to graduate early. Um, oh, and wow. then, yeah, and then I, I just was uh, really lucky because my mom loved the violin for some reason, and she just was like, you're going to learn stuff. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And so she, she homeschooled. Um, I wouldn't call it homeschool because it was more like I was four, you know, or, or four three or four, something like that. But she would teach me and my sisters all kinds of things. She made these like flashcards of like, this is Picasso and this is, you know, you know, all kinds of things from art and, and just 
so you know just basically everything and she took us she got us uh, to take lessons when we were three so we learned violin and then um i just always was like really interested in the arts like since a really young age like i remember not knowing what I was doing, but we were doing some recital, and I was like, "I got this." <laughs> I did not got this, <laughs> like, but it was really cool to like, um, just have this knowing inside that like this is what I love and this is what I want to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, when I was, I guess, probably seven, something like that, I would like write these plays, and I would get my sisters to be in them, and I would <laughs> we all played like three characters or more. <laughs> yeah, and like we would perform for my family with like you know, blankets as curtains, like the whole thing. Um, and yeah, I was always looking for places to express myself, whether that be drawing or, you know, I form, helped form a jazz group when I was in high school. And so we all did a bunch of shows and like gigs, you know, and that was really cool. And um, yeah, and there wasn't too much in Miami. I would do whatever plays I could get my hands on. Um, and then when I went to college, um, I went on an opera scholarship. Um, wow. So that's, that's, let me give you a little backstory because that's a little weird. But when I was 13 and I was in high school, um, I was able to take voice lessons at a community college, um, which is also part of the reason I graduated so early was I took a bunch of electives. So I was in chamber music. I was taking voice and violin. And that teacher, who is amazing, and she's still doing her thing in Miami. Her name is Dr. Beverly Coulter. Woohoo! I love you. <laughs> and she, but she was so, she's still like one of the most talented people I've ever met. She is an incredible coloratura soprano, like incredible concert pianist. She would make arrangements, and she's ambidextrous, so she'd be writing trumpet one with one hand and trumpet two on the other hand, and literally going back and forth making charts. I mean, she was a genius. And, but when I was, I was like wanting to sing pop songs or musical theater or something. And she's like, no, we're going to do classical. And so I ended up, you know, having a pretty good ear so I could imitate sounds and um, got almost a full ride when I was trying to go to college for singing opera. So like, that's what allowed me to pay for school. And then, um, yeah, then I left and I don't know how far back to go. That's like my childhood, you know, it was just a lot of, um, I don't know, figuring it out. I guess I still am figuring it out. But um, but arts were, the arts were always a big part of my life growing up. Um, you know. That, that's incredible to hear about. Um, so your parents are their first generation from Cuba coming to live in Miami. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, my wow. dad is from Havana and my mom is from Santiago. And then they met in Miami. Uh, so, and their story is pretty amazing too. But um, my dad came right after Castro came into power and he was like telling my grandparents and his brothers like come on we gotta go this is not gonna be good and nobody wanted to go with him so he went by himself to Miami didn't speak English he got a job at like Burger King and like doing valet to like pay for night school to learn English and then he got like little by little just like degrees and you know you know, was an accountant, did real estate, you know, became a, an insurance salesman and he still has his insurance company. And when he was going door to door selling insurance, that's how he met my mom who had come and was helping my grandmother. So their like story is so, um, I don't know, it's just organic and really pure and they're still together and hilarious together. <laughs> so. That's amazing. And so, like you said, 
I know you had said that your mom was the one that really had emphasized like showing you, teaching you about art and in so many different ways from such a young age. Was dad involved in that too? Was he a creative person too or no. not so much? No, not at all. <laughs> he doesn't really, um, I don't think he understands art. Like I want to believe that it moves him at some point if he ever saw something that moves him, but I've, I've never seen that happen. Um, and I was always like, doing something or we'd go to a show or we'd be doing something where um music or acting or you know he was exposed to things but he just never really seemed to care for it at all like he didn't really yeah. get it that being said he wasn't like be a doctor he was kind of like do whatever and so that kind of freedom and you know he took he paid for our classes like he was always very supportive in that way but so it was a, a weird thing where he was just very uh, I never really thought about that, but <laughs> he never really had an opinion about it. He was like, yeah, go for it. Like he didn't even, it wasn't encouragement, but it wasn't, um, what's the opposite of encouragement when you're say, t shutting Discouragement? Discouragement. But it sounds like, do you think that, do you think that his experience of, of coming to Miami and, and really having to go with the flow, do you think that that kind of informed the way that he supported you kids? Um, I don't know. Um, I well, think allowing you to find your way is what I'm kind of thinking. You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I should ask him. I'm going to go to Miami next week for the holidays, so I'm going to get to ask all. That's a good question. <laughs> I was like, hmm. I don't even know if he knows the answer. I just know he's a really good man, and he, like, takes care of his family and all that stuff. But I feel there is a detachment that he also has where he just wasn't very involved in that, you know, the passion that we might have for whatever it is, you know. So I guess there's a good and bad in everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. So, so I am a little interested for you to parse out a little bit the whole you being Doogie Hauser and being done with college by 19. Oh, so, no. That's not even that. No, it was just because um, when I was, it was actually the last year they allowed uh, people to do it in the school that I went to. Um, but they let me start second grade and skip first grade. And I, I basically started second grade when I was five and everybody was seven because I, I, I could already read and write and do stuff because my mom had like showed us stuff. And uh, looking back, I mean, it was a, it was kind of challenging um, because I was bullied. I was kind of like excluded from things like, oh, no, you, you know, you're a baby. Like there was a lot of that kind of energy. So you know forming friendships and like confidence and all those things was like really a struggle for a minute um and i think i think age was the reason like it was just a this like and it was hard because i couldn't hide it like everybody knew so then it was this thing that kind of separated me from the group and then to make matters worse um some teacher thought i had uh, a learning disability so they had me take a test and it turned out I had a really like, I don't know, like a good IQ. So they put me in gifted classes. And then I was like not in the, the same school as everybody two times a week. And then I would go and like bring my violin and play at assemblies. And it was just like, I just didn't really fit in for like a lot of that. That being said, when I got to high school, um, 
I, I actually, I tried to lie, to lie about my age and say I was one year older, <laughs> but it didn't work because on my 13th birthday, my older sister, who's a year ahead, brought a big balloon with the number 13 on it and I was mortified, <laughs> but I had to hold it around because my sister gave it to me. And so like, but I think by that point, like everybody had already been like, oh, she's cool or she's kind of creative and all that stuff. So I felt like I had a second chance. And anyway, going back to graduating early, I, um, I took those uh, dual enrollment classes at the community college. And so a lot of my friends were, you know, just, I, it was it was just cool as far as like being able to get those credits. And then when I, I was going to go on a tangent, so I stopped myself and I'm very proud. But uh, yeah, like get those credits. And then so when I transferred, um, I guess for anyone listen, who's listening who wants to figure out the trick, um, I, I was kind of out of it when I was in high school in the sense that I was doing so many extracurricular things, plays and whatnot, that I didn't really think about college. Like, oh, I should go to college and do well in my SATs. Like, I wasn't, I was like memorizing lines and like singing it. You know, I was doing other things. And so I didn't get enough money scholarship wise to go to a school that I wanted. So instead, I just ended up going to that community college. And I did my first, the associates was two years. I did it in one year. So I, you go to the advisor's office and you're like, I want to do an override of credit. So I took the maximum amount you can take. And then, um, and that's how I was able to finish the AA in one year. And then when you, a lot of times if you don't have your AA, they won't transfer all your credits. So but because I had that, I was able to transfer it. And then I went to the University of Miami on like almost a full ride for opera. So it was kind of like, and then I finished my last two years there. So then, you know, that yes. minus the two years I was already ahead, I was 19 by the time I left. So it was not really like anything to, you no, know. No, but that's amazing. Um, but it, I mean, it, it's, it's, I, I have a big smile on my face because it's so, it's who you are still. It's that, it's that, you know, it's that, um, uh, that go-getter part of you that is just kind of for all of us that are witness to your life that just, see you on this constant rocket ship and it's you know it's like when you were like oh yeah i could do this two and one great i'll do it you know i love it because it's 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 just it's it's that the essence of who you've been for so long so so get us now we are you know we're at the end of school you've done opera for the last two years that's that's been your thing what was your dream at that point what did you want to do um you know it's funny i didn't I think now people have like, at least in like the creative field or the musical scene, it's like, oh, I want to do this and this is my goal. Like, and I don't know if it was also true back then, but I just wasn't exposed to that, those kind of conversations. And even in college, like all my friends were in the jazz department. And so we were just playing music and it was just more about like the process of things. And so um, the closest I had to direction and uh, what I wanted to do was actually inspired, I guess, by Dr. Coulter, who Beverly, my, my teacher when I was at that community college. And she was like, you should do this kind of thing. And it was like, basically like this lane within opera. And I was like, oh, that's such a good idea. And then, you know, I was excited about pursuing that. Um, but because I was so young, the young artist programs, I think you usually have to be like 23, or something like that like and I don't know if it was because I was too young or maybe I only auditioned two times <laughs> and then I was like man but 
I had auditioned for a couple programs and then um, I ended up getting, well, a lot happens, you know, in that year, but like of graduating, but, um, but then I ended up getting an audition from one of my jazz friends uh, and she's like, oh, this guy, Engelbert Humperdinck is looking for a singer for his world tour and um, to do like a duet and then to do like backup or that kind of thing. And so we both auditioned and we both got it. So we went on this tour together and so I ended up like going into like this pop experience right or and you know he's an older singer obviously he's from like another generation but um so talented such a such an an amazing experience i got to see a lot of the world um and that was actually what allowed me to get the confidence to say oh i I'm making some money. I could actually leave Miami or I could get my own apartment. I could figure it out. And I realized there was not much going on <laughs> in Miami at the time. So I ended up moving to California with no real plan. And I I think I knew one human and that was it. So, but yeah, that's when I moved to LA and that was a long time ago. And, um, and, it, and it, but I never really, I just knew I wanted to keep performing and I wanted to keep being creative. But that's something I always wish I had more clarity on was like I want to do this one thing and it just hasn't been like that for me you know oh yeah well that's the, so that's what that's what I really kind of wanted to to share have you share more about is has been your journey so when the next the next thing was the next thing that came up fresh beat band is that what you was that your next job basically after Los Angeles so okay so <laughs> wow we're getting and really everybody <laughs> And I will say, I'll, I'll put this out there in case for folks that are listening, because, you know, every, you know, I don't have a bunch of young ones that, and who knows, Fresh Beat's been around for, it's been a while. So maybe everyone right? not to know yeah. it, but Fresh Beat Band was a really popular Nickelodeon show that Yvette was part of. Um, and that's kind of when I had met you was in that era because of John, a, a dear friend of both of ours, who was one of your, um, your, I was going to say colleagues, but one of your co-stars. Yeah. Um, so, but was it a while before you did, before Fresh Beat Band? Were you just kind of figuring out what do I want to do next at that point? Yeah, I mean, it was, it wasn't like a, a super long time before, but basically when I, the whole idea of moving to LA versus New York was in my imagination, growing up in Miami, New York was for theater and it was for, um, I don't know. Yeah, like theater or like opera. And I wasn't doing that anymore. <laughs> And, yeah. so, and I think I had gotten, I don't know, I think I started developing this like love-hate relationship with um, with theater. And I think a lot of it, if I'm being honest, had to do with people kind of talking smack about it. Like, oh, it's so cheesy or bad actors or, you know, there was a lot of like, I don't know why, but just a lot of negative um, opinions that people had towards theater. And so I kind of started like, you know, adopting that like subconsciously. And I was like, well, then I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> so I got to California and then I, I missed it. I was like, actually, I would like to perform in a show. <laughs> and so I just went on like backstage West or whatever it was. And I started, I just like immediately started doing some theater and I started going up and down. It was like two months in LA, two months in San Diego, two months in San in Sacramento. It was just like doing different shows and like really learning a lot. Um, just by doing it, you know? So that was something that happened. And then I got a show called Three Modivas, which I loved doing because, um, and, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Three Modivas, but it's like, um, 
remember the three tenors, Pavarotti, yes. Domingo? Yeah, so they basically, um, this guy, Mary and Jay Caffey was like, you know, they do these concerts. I'm totally paraphrasing. And, you know, they're supposed to be doing jazz, but it still sounds like opera. And he's like, wouldn't it be cool if there was, a, you know, three tenors and they actually sang all these different styles of music? So he found these, like, three wildly, like, incredibly talented, um, and they're all you know they're all black you know and they and he there were these amazing tenors and they sang every style of music and they did like an off-broadway thing i think a pbs special and he called it three mo tenors and then he made a female version called three mo divas and i was uh so thrilled because i was like the token latina <laughs> i was like the one that a little different but like um we sang all these styles of music it was the, just like the tenor format and so i got to use opera which was in my bag of special skills i got to use you know my ability to change my voice it was just so much fun uh and then i moved to new york then and then i was there for like a year and then that's when i booked uh fresh beat band was out of new york which took me really? back to california yeah i was the only new york actor of the group um wow. yeah and then that's that takes amazing. Me back to here <laughs> yeah yes that's amazing um, something that occurred to me that's kind of like an offshoot that I'd love for you to share about is what has your experience been like with auditioning? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have so much uh, and as, think think more uh I mean like inside of yourself. Like how has that experience been for you? And if it's something that has kind of evolved, you know, share that too, whatever, whatever this looks like to you, whatever mm -hmm. bubbles up first. But, you know, just what is that, what has that been like? What's your relationship to auditioning been like for you inside? Like, what has that felt like for you? I think when I, when I was first auditioning, I, I mean, I, and I sometimes I still feel like I have no idea what I'm doing, but, I'm, you know, well, when I was first auditioning, I was like, uh, I really had no idea. And yet I had this, I had these um, general concepts that kind of informed what I would do in the room. And to a certain extent, like, it, I don't even know why, but I felt somehow more confident with whatever it was that I was allowing to direct me. I was just like, and it was just like this, like knowingness inside of it's either me or someone else. So if it's not for me, then it's okay. Like I didn't take it personal at all. Um, and you know, as I, started doing it more and like sometimes you get the part and sometimes you don't whatever but what i realized was when you're auditioning is like you do have the part even if it's just for those three minutes in the room you're you have the role right now like you get to say the story you get to say these words and, and be this and have this experience of playing that role so like enjoy it you know what i mean and at the end of the day it's like well they wanted somebody else's take on that character and that's fantastic or now i'm realizing as I have done some production stuff, it's like, oh, it has very little to do with acting sometimes, you know? But so as an actor, you should just enjoy the moment and like delve as deep as you can, you know, afford to go and, and then just, just enjoy it. What's really even more interesting than for me, like in my, maybe not for any listeners, but for me, is that the last couple years, everything's been self-tape. And so I'm not in the room with people. And I always feel like when I'm in the room, I feel like I could connect with with whoever's there. And I could also see, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, you do what you prepare, but there's also this unspoken energy that can also direct the way you, you do what you prepare. And I, I don't, we don't have that now. So it's been like, 
I don't know, kind of uh, more challenging for me. I don't think I do as well in the self-tape world. Um, and I'm trying to figure it out, but I think that like it had kind of messed with my confidence a little bit even then. Because I was like, I think this is what they want to see. And it's like I was doing it almost to be liked by casting, which is so stupid. Um, and so, so yeah, and now I'm like kind of, it, it was a little challenging, you know. And as I mentioned to you earlier, like um, I did book a tour for Broadway's Moulin Rouge as the teen. Um, I'm, do, I'm sharing the role with Courtney, who's going to be playing it as well. And, and that starts next year, you said, right? That starts January 3rd. <laughs> Wow. So no, that's like, you know, I mean, we're going to be, this episode will be playing while you're actually already on tour then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's amazing. Cause you know, just so people know this, that's only like a week and a half from now. <laughs> I know. I know it's like coming right up. Um, but what's, what's interesting is I had auditioned um, for, I think I, well, I had to go to New York for the callback. So it was like in person. And then it's like, well, I don't know. I just, I just think I do better in person. So now I'm trying to find a way to like, I don't know, just embrace the self-tape process more and like figure out how to, I don't know, be as expansive as I can and like have the fullest experience I can and like, and do well, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying yeah. to like figure it out still. Um, but now that I'm going on tour, I have some time to figure it out. So I don't have to like stress about it, but that's been kind of the journey. It was like, let's, you know, just have this like, unearned confidence and like just making it up as I go and you have to be a little ballsy in this industry anyway just to you know put yourself in a situation where like 99% of the time you're being rejected and you're like not doing it because of that you're doing it because you want to create and like you know yes I my mouth was just so everybody knows that's listening <laughs> <laughs> my my jaw was on the floor when you said it was a cha game changer for you when you realized that you actually had the part for even if it was just three minutes. Mm, that yeah. is so profound because, I mean, even for me, and I'm not in that business, but it's so profound because I understand that it's, it to me, this is what that speaks to to me, is that when you when you take it on in that way, that this is, this is my, this is my part for this short period of time. Um, it allows all the crap to kind of go by the wayside, meaning in your mind, mm. because you get to really step into that part for that, for that, you know, the amount of time that monologue, those sides or whatever it is that you have, that you have to do. But to me, that's what fundamentally it sounds like is happening there because you get to step into the role fully and completely and live in that experience as opposed to kind of feeling like you're a vet putting this thing on for a little bit. And I hope this works. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Uh, Cause I can totally, I can imagine how, um, how much more present that makes you in the role in that moment when you're, when you're auditioning. Yeah. I feel like it just it takes some of the ego out of the whole process too you know that's like you're exactly i mean yes because you you don't have time to be like oh i hope they like me you know you're just gonna like that's not even in your 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 sphere like you can't think about that because you have too many other things to think about you know and um 
Yeah. And then, and then getting the role or not becomes secondary to just being as present as you can in that moment and being as truthful as you can and honoring that character, even if all you get is three minutes and you don't get to shoot for however long, you know, like that's, um, yeah, I think it's a good, uh, a good thing. It's a gift to even have that time and that opportunity, you know? And so it kind of just changes perspective a little bit, you know? Yes, absolutely. God, you know what this is making me think of is if I could like, if if, when I pull that away from even just that moment, that's such a beautiful reference point for anybody that's listening who isn't even in the arts, you know, who, who, who doesn't have to audition for things. But what that says to me, that when you step into those moments, into that, into that role, into that character, even for just that short period of time. And like you said, it naturally allows the ego to go to the side because that's not in your sphere of influence. You are literally just, um, uh, uh, um, oh, what's the word? I, embracing is what's coming up for me and that's not it. But when you're stepping in completely, um, you're able to respond in such a different way because you're really present. And what, what that's making me think of is how that, how that is such a truth about us in life all the time, that the more that we actually step into life, um, honoring our own truth, honoring our own selves, that then it does allow everything to kind of go to the wayside. And when people go in and out of our lives, we don't take things as personally because it's, that's them and their story. And this is me in, in my experience of me. And it, you know, nothing is actually personal at that point. It's just everybody experiencing their, them, their own selves. And we're in flow here. And this is, it's no different than that, those three minutes that you step into a role and you're present in the moment with that. And that can be the way that it is even for us in life, that the more that we learn to step into our full selves and not get caught up in our ego around different things. It's amazing how it's a a huge shift. Yeah. No, I I was going to just say that, like hearing you make, draw that parallel is so profound because in reality like that is i mean i actually had an experience recently and i'm 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 kind of having this experience recently i um without going into the boring details but I, there was something i had been thinking about that would just kind of creep into my head and i'd be i don't want to say obsessively thinking about it but it was a little annoying <laughs> i was like taking up real estate in my head so i was like gosh and then what i found was i had lost touch a little bit with my I don't know, my focus or my um, inspiration, you know, like just over the last like months. And like now, like recently, I found myself like coming back to myself. And the more that I do that, what's interesting is like, I noticed it yesterday. So it's funny that you said what you said this the way you did, because I was uh, in a flow, just getting a lot of things done. I was like, man, this is, I was like, and I noticed, I was like, wow, I haven't even had time to think about that situation. And then I was like, well, and I was almost about to be like, well, go ahead. You've, you've been good all day. Let's think about it. And I was like, no, I don't even have, I still can't because I'm in this moment right now. And it was so cool because when I shifted my focus from whatever that, let's just call it an obsessive thought, right? Whatever that thought is to just me and my inner life and my, you know, whatever I'm working on or my passion or my 
whatever, just being present to me, like then all those other things that come into our view to try and distract us in general, like don't have a place anymore. Like we can't, we don't have time to think about that because we're in our own like three minutes of life, you know, we're, we're focused on what we're doing right now. And I think that's so, uh, it's just interesting because it definitely is something that happens in life and it's, and it's obviously can be applied to auditions, but, um, yeah, I just, I love that idea and, uh, of just kind of shifting the focus back inside, you know? Yes. I mean, that's what, I mean, I've never thought about it before either, but that's what <laughs> struck me about what you were saying. Cause I just thought, my God, I mean, you saw my job on the floor. <laughs> like, I just thought, oh my God, that is such a profound thing to consider. And it is one of those things where it seems kind of, it's the way life always is that it's always more simple and seems quite obvious and right under our nose that, you know, you know, why wouldn't you take that moment to go, yeah, this is my role right now. I don't know if it'll be my role for the next three months, you know, or however long the gig is, but for right now, this is my, this is my gig. And it's such a, it, it again, seems so obvious and profound. And so then I thought to myself, well, God, that is, that is life. And so when we deepen our, when we get more and more in relationship to ourselves, which is what I'm hearing is, is how it's been for you in the last days or weeks for you of like coming back to what is it again that I love? What is it that I need and honoring that and behaving in life from there. And then it's amazing how, like you said about auditioning and what you're realizing, even about this scenario for you recently it becomes secondary and it becomes more, it makes less and less sense to get caught up in it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing from you. And, and yeah. you said something earlier too, about um, being in those three minutes, even, or whether it's three minutes or three months. And I was kind of cool when you said that, because it was like, you know, we do, like just like you play different roles right and when you're auditioning i'm this character today and then maybe i'll be this one in a couple months or whatever it is but that i think that was cool when you said that because it reminded me too that we can you know play different characters within our own life you know we don't have to i think for me i definitely put this pressure on myself and maybe it exists in the world but where you have to do this one thing and this is who you are for your whole life and da, 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 da. and like as much as i like to be that person it like reminds me just by hearing you say that that it's okay to like also play this other role and also have this experience and and you know do this kind of job or whatever it is and that the only limitations you know as cheesy as it sounds are the ones that we you know adopt or put on ourselves so that we can just go in and whatever it is like be the best we can be in those in those moments you know Yes. Oh my God. So huge. And I, I had actually kind of thought about it when you said, um, when you were talking about when you moved to LA, cause you had this idea in mind that you had adopted from everybody else subconsciously about how theater kind of wasn't where it was at. And I, you know, and, and, the, and what, what that really is such a great, I guess I could just say observation of is how natural we can move in and out of things without, you know, sure, you adopted that idea and it doesn't, and it, and it surely isn't you. I mean, for God's sakes, you've even been on Broadway now, right? But, <laughs> but you know, it's like you, you kind of went in that direction. And then at some point you woke up to it and went, wait, why do I even, 
why do I even want to do, why do I even think that? Because I'm actually missing it. And so there's really this really natural evolution to how we make things up. And then at some point we'll decide that if it doesn't, if it doesn't work for us or, or if it does, you know, there's really this really great flow that does happen. It's just when we get hung up on, if there's something up with us or wrong with us for, for being a certain kind of way that we get stuck on that idea. I mean, absolutely. I feel like something I've been learning about myself and by the way, just to get really, I don't want to be like throw myself under the bus here, (laughs) but here we are, Jesse. No, but I, I feel like I could be more specific as to the person who told me, oh, it's cheesy or this and that. And it was this guy that I was dating, right? Yeah. And I was like, I it was that feeling of you want to be liked by that person, you know? And so, and that's something that I've like gotten over now, you know, as I've gotten older and like, like, oh, I see maybe I was just trying to win my dad's love or whatever the issue is, you know? Yeah. But it's so, you know, it's interesting though, how like that comment that that person made you know, I didn't, I, I, I maybe didn't, how do I say it? Like I wasn't fully convinced by it because in my gut, I was like, no, I still like this and I want to do it, you know? So it's, it's yeah. interesting though how the gut and how your, your true self, I think does always win. Like we'll find our way back out. But yes. now that as I get older, I'm like, oh, I'm becoming more self-aware with like my own patterns and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, we really have to like actively choose to listen to ourselves like you have to actively choose it because like there there is so much distraction and sometimes you don't know why you're being influenced a certain direction it's like oh like like then i had no idea that that's what i was doing but that's exactly what i was doing you know and i it just i don't know we'll just we'll save a lot of time i think if we just listen to ourselves from the beginning you know i mean that is a <laughs> mic drop moment <laughs> Oh my God, you're so funny. <laughs> it's the truth. You know, I mean, you that was so beautifully said of it. It's like, as you kind of, the more you wake up to it, you know, I, when you were saying how it was, it was, it was the boyfriend that had said something and how that it was just that, even if it was just one comment, like you said, it didn't even have to be an everyday conversation. That's all it takes for us to then kind of get, you know, so, you know, for whatever reason, if that person or, or that scenario or circumstance is important enough for us to go, oh, okay, I need to, you know, that's, that that can be, a, you know, when we start, we pivot in our own personality because of what, for whatever reason, we don't have to get into the contents of it, <laughs> but it made me think of, um, you know, the old Julia Roberts movie, Runaway Bride. And yes, yes. the way she makes the way whenever she, you know, how do you like your eggs? And it changes for every partner because she always eats the same, her eggs the same way her partner does every time. And And that's the whole story by the end, right? Is that it's like, by, I can't remember even the love. Oh, it's Richard Gere. Of course. I was like, who's the love interest? I can't remember. But that was the, you know, that's the whole kind of thing is that by the end it's, you know, he says, what wait, do you like your eggs? And she was like, I actually don't even know. So he cooks them all different ways. So she can try them all different ways. So she can actually decide I like scrambled or whatever it is. I know. know, It's, 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 it's amazing how we do, we, we do get in that, you know, um, it's almost like, I was just talking about this with a client right before we spoke where, 
you know, she has kind of found that she's in this pattern of feeling like she needs to be a vigilante of her partners, of how they're doing, what's up with them, because there's, it almost feels like irresponsible. This is what I had, I had, I had shared with her where it kind of broke things up in her mind, which was really helpful. But I said, does it feel like if you don't stay focused on your worry about if you're doing enough or how are they feeling or what's going on with them? Does it feel like if you don't stay focused on all of those worries that that's kind of irresponsible? And she was like, absolutely. I feel like if I don't worry, mm. then something's going to happen and I'm going to miss it, you know? And that's just all that game that we can get into with so many different things, feeling like we have to stay vigilant of whatever's going on in our mind, because if we don't, something will happen and then we won't know how to navigate it. But that's why I love speaking to artists, which she is one, Yeah. because I was able to talk, to ask her, I said, what is it like for you when something goes wrong on stage? And I'm sure you can answer. How do you feel when something goes wrong on stage? What do you do? Oh, I'm, oh, I, uh, hmm. I think it depends on what happens. <laughs> but see, um, you really, now you're able to just kind of navigate it, right? Or do you, you know, we could either go in our head and try to figure it out, but the nature of being on stage and performing, you're in flow, right? And so you kind of, you know, you say an extra line, you improv, you do a different move, you, whatever is needed in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's what we don't, we don't ever really put it together that, that's, you know, we actually do a much better job of navigating unknown territory when we are present and in that flow, as opposed to being this hypervigilant person all the time in our mind. Yeah. You know? And, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the hypervigilant thing that your, your friend was going through, like, it's interesting how we all survive the moments in our own unique way, you know, because yes. like, and what you mentioned about the runaway bride and how she liked her eggs, the different, I actually did that. I was saying, I, I kind of was guilty of that with music. So if I dated a guy who was, you know, a jazz musician, maybe I'd be doing some jazz for a couple of years and then maybe I'd be doing some rock and espanol. I mean, it literally, I, I kind of didn't mean to, but I, I did that. And, but what's interesting is I, I think I, there came a point when I noticed I was not that I only dated musicians, but I noticed a kind of a trend of, of like, oh, you're kind of I, I I rationalized by saying I was like allowing myself to like learn about this side of myself. But in reality, I think it took me away from trying to figure out what I liked on my own without, you know, the influence of like a boyfriend or whatever. And it's like we were saying earlier, it's just like, it's the long route because the shortcut is just to recognize, oh, I think I'm trying to like get this person to like be, or be really compatible with this person or whatever the thing is. And then like, if you just notice that you're like, let's just check in with ourselves. Like, do you still know exactly what you're trying to do? Or do you know what you like? And do you know who you are? Like, whatever the questions are, those are not good questions, but you know, and, yeah. um, and it's just, yeah, because at, at the end of the day, like, we're going to be faced with ourselves anyway, you know, like, if we keep hiding from our own truth, it's going to keep knocking, like, eventually, but then it's going to be harder to see it. So it's, yes. so then it takes longer to kind of 
remember who you are, you know, a little bit. I don't know if that made any sense, but it makes a hundred percent sense. Um, so I have a question for you. The last I had, um, this, one of my mentors in life, uh, who, uh, anyway, her name was Elsie Spittle. We had her on last season for, as an interview. And we were talking about the process of dreams and goals, because one of, uh, uh, Sydney Banks is, is, is a, um, is the, I don't want to say the creator because that is not the right word. He's a the- theosopher. He's passed away. He's who wrote the books and and around the th- kind of had the idea around the three principles, this, the base to the foundation to what I share here on the podcast and and how I do my own coaching and everything. Um, anyway, he had written in a, in in one of his very significant books, uh, the Missing Link. He had written. Um, Oh, and I don't have it near me. I'm going to, so I'm going to botch the the quote, just like I did in the interview with Elsie, <laughs> but it was something about um, those who strive for the moon tend to begin their journey by tripping over their feet. Oh. And I remember when I first read it, when I first read it, I remember I was really, I was, I was really shaken because all of what, all of what this understanding of of the, our insights that, that I know and, and share that he shared, you know, is so hopeful and, and allows you to see that it's like, oh my God, like it can be a bitter pill to swallow, to realize that you have created a lot of your own suffering. But on the flip side of that, it's really wonderful because then it's like, oh my God, well, if I'm the creator of my own suffering, I'm the creator of all the other things too, which is fantastic. Yeah. So when I first read that though, I remember kind of thinking, what? Am I not allowed to have dreams or strive for the boon? Because that's kind of the, that's been my impetus since being a tiny person, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that feels like, that feels like that would be in alignment with all of this good stuff. So when I was sharing that with Elsie, um, and then I and and I had kind of shared what what I had been getting to with that. For me, what made sense was the second that we have this a new dream or some or new goal kind of occur to us, right? Something something occurs to us like I'd like to go after that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds like a really that would be really fun. You know, like I'm thinking, I'm picturing you in school when you were creating your jazz band. And, you know, it's like when you get that idea of like, oh, that would be really great. You know, and you get that idea. And then what can happen, which I have done to myself plenty of times, and I'm not saying I won't again, (laughs) but but plenty of times to myself where then it goes from this precious feeling that's beautiful um, to me kind of suffocating it with my ego around, okay, so how do I make it happen? And I start to have create expectations and I start to kind of get to a place of like, then I'm living life with this feeling kind of, of impatience. Cause I've got this idea of what this is supposed to look like. And life just doesn't flow like that, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you've, you know, as opposed to kind of having this idea come into you and then experience it and, and then move through life and just you know, 
keep in that flow, keep having that in your, in your mind's eye, seeing, you know, allowing that, that guidance system inside of us to move us forward and move us towards that. Instead, what I would do to myself is I would then start to have a bunch of thinking around it of, okay, so that's what I, that, you know, that would, that would maybe either solve problems in my life, or that would be great because I'd make a bunch of pictures around. It would mean that I have this much money or I could then buy a house or, and then I, you know, and you start, I would start to do that to myself and that would inevitably end up making me trip over my own feet because it would start to make me feel disconcerted around the fact that my life didn't look like it was living up to how this is, this thing is supposed to go. And I'd kind of lose steam, you know, I'd almost just like squash that idea before I even had a chance to kind of get it going. And um, when I presented this to Elsie, she was telling me kind of very similar experience where she said, you know, in my interpretation of it, she said, I really feel I can feel, I can get a sense of when something has started to lose its aliveness, you know, I kind of start to get a sense of, ah, there's a shift here. There's a change here. And she said, and, and in the past, you know, her ego would then come in and go, okay, well then if this isn't it anymore, what is, but now over time, as she's experienced this over and over again, she's gotten comfortable in the process of going, okay, changes around the corner. I don't even know what that looks like yet. And kind of being willing to live in that uncomfortable feeling of the unknown of not this anymore, but I don't know where there is yet either. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious in your own experience as an artist, especially because again, I've seen you go from, I mean, such different projects going from, you know, in just in so many different arenas creatively, does that resonate with you? Like, what does that look like for you? I mean, honestly, before I answer, I wanted you to, to, to go a little bit further because I was like wanting to know what the solution is in that moment, because, um, I mean, I could relate to that in so many different scenarios, but that feeling of when it's, um, you know, a, a conceptual, like just an idea and a zygote of an idea. And it's, and it's, yes. and it's uh, inspiring you and you feel alive by it and you you're curious about it and you want to pursue it. And then you, there's some moment when that happens. And then, you know, like that Barbara, who has said that, that the universe conspires to help you once you know what you want to do anyway. And then like everything works out really well and there's flow, but there's also moments when you're like, oh, I'm curious about this thing. I think it'd be so great to do whatever it is. And then you just get like so much opposition and you're like, oh, well now what? And I don't know what I'm doing. And you know, the, all the things that, so then you try and muscle your way through it, which is kind of what it sounded like you were talking about when you kind of are trying to um, yeah. grasp the moment and make it into something and control it. But, and I was wanting to hear more from you about that because I feel like that is a real, I know it's a little bit abstract maybe for those who haven't experienced it, but it is a hard thing, um, a hard balance to find between going with the flow and just not even trying, like just setting your intention and leaving it out there and seeing what happens and uh, trying to be proactive and, and take steps to help you get closer to that goal. So there's this, there's this balance it's, and it's this um, tension of opposites that sometimes it's like you don't know which side to go on. And um, yeah. for me personally, and then I guess I'll, since I'm talking, I'll just, you know, answer yeah. your question. But I think for me, like, I, 
I try not to worry so much about the outcome anymore because you just don't know what's going to happen. Like I'm really trying to be more process oriented, which is I think more new for me. Um, so all I can do is be like, this is what I want to do, or this is what I think would be cool to do and not worry so much about the how, but take steps. So if like right now I'm like, I think if I did this, this and this, that would be with the information I have today, the most educated, you know, guess <laughs> that I could do to help me get closer to that goal. And then you try it. And if it works, cool. And if it doesn't try something else, you know, I'm like not, not trying to, um, you know, just control things as much. And, and then also to like, let my, my gut kind of guide me a little bit more than I did in the past. Cause let me tell you, it is always right. And I'm not trying to like brag or anything. I feel it's true for everybody. Like we got it going on. We know as, as humans, we have this thing, this like divine grace that guides us. And we just like, we'd rather listen to some other stuff, <laughs> you know, and let that dictate where we go. But inside we know. So it's just like, I think as long as we like set our intention and then just do our best and like trust that where we do end up is like where we end up, but that the journey that we're taking is like leading us to like find ourselves more. So that's ultimately what we're searching is those lessons, right? I mean, anyway. <laughs> I, have the biggest, I have the biggest smile on my face. <laughs> I know, I love, love and I know that everybody listening has the same smile. <laughs> truly, because, um, you know, because Yvette, I mean, you just answered your own question. When you were like, I kind of want to hear more from you. And, I and, did. and then you, like, you answered it. You answered your own question because it was so beautiful what you said about how, you know, there's that deeper divine intelligence that is constantly giving us information step by step by step by step every time. And so it's, you know, it, it really truly is. There's that. And everybody can relate, even if they aren't artists. I can't tell you how many people do this to themselves in relationships mm. where we get this kind of intuitive feeling on even how to kind of guide our way through, through an experience of our, you know, of our relationship. But then we end up getting caught up in an idea of what we thought it should be or what it's supposed to look like. And then we try to strong arm our way or strong arm the other person or ourselves into molding it into what we think it's supposed to be as opposed to kind of going into a deeper place of what feels right right now, you know, what, what's, what would be good for me right now? What, what, how could I, whatever that looks like, but constantly, constantly checking in with ourselves, because again, kind of back to what we were even saying earlier, it's that deeper relationship with ourselves. That's so important to have because the sturdier we are there, the more that we feel confident to go with the flow and um, be able to navigate uncharted territories, not knowing practically what this is going to look like. But when you kind of when you go to that deeper place, yes, it might not end up looking like you like you thought it would, but. I'm sure you, and I know I have experienced it, and I know everybody listening has experienced it in some form or another, that you get to the end of some journey or, or get to a, 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 a you know, a land, landmark moment in some journey. And you look back and you go, wow, I didn't think this was going to be where this was going to take me, but I am so thrilled it did. Mm -hmm. Right? 
And oh, like yeah. you said, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm kind of butchering it up because you said it really beautifully. No, I, I think what you said was so beautiful, and I and I love that you took it a step further and were like, at every moment we know what to do. Because I was like, set an intention and like, just kind of looking at it in a more broad stroke manner. But to think that every moment you like if if there's something you need to do or something you're struggling with or whatever the thing you need to make a plan like that every moment we have that guidance that was so beautiful to me you know because it's like when we listen with our hearts our life could become a prayer you know it could be like a living prayer because we're listening whether it's you know to god to ourselves whatever that thing is you know and that's a really beautiful thought to and a beautiful space to live in consistently yes wow that made me quiet <laughs> no it's a podcast let's talk <laughs> <laughs> just see they can't see you don't be quiet <laughs> She's but, lovely, it, everybody. Yes, but that is really moving yes yes yeah so thanks for answering that for me <laughs> wow well, thank you for giving, being able to answer for yourself because that was beautiful for all of us to hear. Um, wow. Uh, okay. Geez, we're coming around the end here. So I wanted, I, I did want to, um, I always ask at the end of every episode the, the same question to everybody. But before I do that, um, I, I do, it's a little bit more of like kind of a fun thing, you know, for me to ask about just because okay. I- yeah. Uh, your Town experience with being part of something ground up that just, I mean, truly was, I mean, it was like the next for anybody out there who, who might not be as, as, um, aware of, of theater, you know, Phantom of the Opera and Cats are the, you know, and Wicked, I think we could add to that list yeah. are, are, are shows that just, are never going to ever close, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe they will, but they will always come back. They are that dandelion root that just keeps on coming back. Oh yeah. <laughs> I really feel like Town is in that same kind of, in that same world. And you got to be part of that experience from the ground up. And I, and I, because were you, were, did you actually even perform for like the Tonys doing that also? Or? Yeah, we got to perform at the Tonys and, and, and I actually was with the show. Um, I mean, I did a couple workshops in the earlier phases, like before it even went off Broadway and when it, before it went to Canada, like I did, I think it was in 2015 and 2017. So the show's been cooking for a minute. They've been wow. really trying it out. I mean, I think it was like, over 10 years or something like that. So it's, it's amazing how long things can take, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this totally could be such a classic. Anais Mitchell who wrote the music is just like prophetic in the things that she wrote about. And it was so just timeless and, and, and gorgeous. And, and I feel like it's deep and yet easily accessible by everybody. So I think it's such a special piece. It's a, it's a, and this is a song that I feel like I'm doing a commercial. Go see it if you're in New York, <laughs> but go see it. If but it's the York. truth. It's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, so when, as the artist, and I know you've experienced this a bit, even like with Fresh Beat Band, because that 
TV show blew up and it's just its own subculture of being a, you know, a kid's television show, but um, have Hades town in mind with this question. Are you aware while it's happening that you are a part of something that is going to be so, so special and influential on the industry? Yeah. I mean, I actually felt that way. I know you never know if a project is going to do well. Like sometimes you really believe in it and then it, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. But when I was doing, um, I think the workshop in 2017 with a New York theater workshop, I was like, man, there was just something about hearing, um, we had some musicians play with us for the presentations and I was like, this is different. This is not what you normally hear in theater, you know, musically and uh, just everything about it was, it was kind of vintage stylistically, right? But also so fresh and so needed. And I feel like, I, so I personally did know it was gonna do something special and I didn't know it was gonna be Broadway and if it was, when that would be, but for sure, cause it was already so special. And it started as a concept album and it, and it kept evolving and taking on these different, you know, manifestations. I was like, if it's doing that, it's going to keep doing that. Cause that, and at this point it's so beautiful because it had this great commercial success, like winning so, like eight Tonys and the Grammy and like all the things. Um, and now there's like a tour happening and there's, you know, they're doing international versions and it's, it's becoming bigger than itself yet again so it keeps breaking the the skin and like or the shell and and just continuing to to blossom and it's really really beautiful and i think you can you don't always know but i think you feel that that you're a part of something special like you don't know what that means but you can i think you can feel it so yeah i definitely had that experience with with hades town <laughs> yes and then i would love to know what what was that because you were in it up until COVID, right? Yeah. Was that, is that, and then is that when you were offered the next contract and it didn't feel, tell me about you saying no to the next round. Oh, of yeah. Well, I had, um, I had one week left of my contract before the pandemic took over our lives. <laughs> but, uh, but then when Broadway was indeed coming back, they asked me if I would uh, like to just kind of rejoin the company again for a few months and at that point i had booked a film um and so i was kind of already going to be unavailable and there was like a few things that i was starting to you know just project wise that i just i i couldn't have done both and i needed to be in la so that was my main reason but it was interesting because i also noticed that aside from being technically unavailable i feel like i, I had already said I felt like I had already said goodbye to the show. Wow. Because when when the whole thing first happened, uh, we had a big call, you know, call with the whole cast and crew and producers and everybody. And they're like, you gotta get your things from the theater. And I, don't, I thought it was just maybe for me because I was almost done with my contract. Um, but I was like, Going to, I went to the theater and I got my things and all my fan art that people had given me and you know just little little mementos or whatever that had <laughs> gathered up quite nicely in the dressing room and as I was getting my things, I I said bye to the dressing room. I said you know I kind of took in the moment and just kind of put it in my heart and laid it to rest somehow. And I know that sounds so dramatic, but I felt like I had already said bye. So then 
it, it kind of made sense that I wasn't available to come back to it, you know? Um, oh. It's interesting, but yeah, so that was why I didn't go back. I wasn't available. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I wasn't sure if it was a little bit more of kind of what we were talking about of that sense of, of something kind of losing it, its aliveness and kind of feeling that sense of time to move on. I wasn't sure if it was more of that or so anyway, it's just so interesting to hear. That's an interesting thing though, about like how you just said that too, like losing its aliveness. Cause I feel like uh, that's an interesting, maybe that's a whole other podcast on its own, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. Cause I think that could happen in relationships with people who are like a lot, uh, you know, together for a long, long time. And it's like, well, it's not as alive as it used to be. I don't know. <laughs> that's not a thing people say necessarily with relationships, yeah. but maybe. And then does that mean that it's a bad relationship or that you're not in love anymore? Or like, and, and what does in love really mean? And I'm just totally going on a rant here, but then what do you do? How do you bring the aliveness back to it? Because I feel like, you know, just because you kind of lose that thing, that feeling, it doesn't mean that it can't come back. And it doesn't, and then sometimes it comes back by you just choosing it, you know, like, uh, like we've mentioned, you know, the show and it's like, okay, well I did it already. So I'm kind of over it, whatever it was at. And then I could also do what I did every single performance when I was doing it on Broadway, which is like, and I, I'm just, this is how I am every, after every show. I'm like, could I have done anything better? Could I have gone deeper somewhere? Could I have been more honest somewhere? Like whatever the show is, whatever the part is. And I feel like when you do that, then the next show is going to be different. Every show is going to be different. And so, you know, that aliveness comes back when you come back, <laughs> when you're like paying attention again. Yes. I, that is stunning. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's so, I'm, I can only imagine how, how uh, challenging that could be for some people, especially doing eight shows a week or however many shows a week you were doing. Um, and that's stunning to listen, to hear about you stayed open and curious and to answer your question without having to go on a, honestly, I don't need to go on a long, it could of course be its own episode, but, but to your point, you know, you know, that's kind of what, what is, is beautiful about when you start to kind of get that sense of something losing it, its aliveness, I can speak straight to this, especially relationship wise, because, you know, Mike and I have been together for over 18 years now, and it's definitely come to that point a few times where we, you know, just where it's kind of like, um, I wouldn't say that, you know, I can only speak to my experience, but um, I know if there was definitely a phase, like, and oddly enough, it was when we first moved into an apartment, just the two of us, because before that, for a really long time, we lived with three other people. Mm -hmm. So by nature, it was keeping things exciting, because you always had things going on. If you wanted your alone time that, you know, then you'd, you'd have to really make a point of it. And it felt very exciting. So to all of a sudden have all this time just for the two of us, you would think that that would mean that it would just be this like really amazing, wow, explosion of like, you know, this is fantastic and exciting. And quite the opposite happened for me personally, where I was like, I felt just kind of, uh, 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 what's the word? I don't know. I mean, it just kind of felt flat. <laughs> You know, it was like all of a sudden I had, you know, all this option and, and it was like, you know, to have too much was to have nothing. I don't know what, but um, to your point, I think it's, um, 
when we have that feeling of something losing its aliveness, whether it's in a, a job or a relationship or where we're living, as opposed to what we typically do is then jump into our head and start to go, oh no, you know, what does it mean? What is it, whether, what does it mean about me? What does it mean about my partner? What does it mean about our relationship that this, that I'm starting to feel this way? And that's when we can, you know, it's kind of that same idea we were talking about with that dream and how we can squash it with our, our expectations or our ideas of how it's supposed to go. Yeah. It's exa- it's exactly the same. It's like that, that we get that sense of something doesn't feel right anymore. And we can get in our own way and start to go, what does it mean? And just squash the hell out of that curiosity. Or we can kind of get curious about it and, and go, huh, something feels off here. Something feels, something's not feeling right. And that really leads to so much information from inside of us. Mm-hmm. So for me, when it came to my relationship with Mike, I remember I kind of was open to like, does it, is it, is it us? And I instantly, I knew I was like, no, it's not, but something is off. So I was able to then just kind of explore and see what that meant for us. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it was the process of exploring and kind of just getting to know each other again and asking questions about who are you now? And, you know, what could we do to, you know, make this more exciting again? And it's exactly, it's literally no different than what you're saying about your coming off stage every day and going, you know, that, cause that's what it, that was what occurred to you to do, to keep it fresh for you. What could I do differently here? You kept it so open, you were so open and willing to be curious about what, what could I find in this more? So you know, and, and also something could lose its aliveness and you get curious about it and you go, I'm, I'm just done with this job and I'm ready to move on. So it could be that too, you know, or yeah, you know, it, could, it could be, anything, but it's so unique to each person and in each moment in each person's life, you know, yeah, I love that. Wow. Yeah. So that. Thank you so much. We have gone all over the shop. This is exactly what I knew we would. (laughs) I love it. We got some really, I mean, just beautiful mic drop moments. Thank you so much. So here comes the final question. Yvette, whatever occurs to you, whatever bubbles up first is is perfect. What moves you? Oh, let's see. I don't know what the word for this is, but I think that feeling that comes from realizing a dream. So maybe realizing a dream. (laughs) And even if I see it in other people, if I see other people realizing their dream, realizing their potential, oh, it's so amazing. That's like when you see any, like a, a gymnast with like, I don't know, one arm or something, just killing it. You're like, yes. And it just moves you to tears. You know, like I love, I love seeing all of us, right. Just like overcome our challenges and like be afraid and then do it anyway. Like that moves me deeply. Wow. And I can absolutely confidently say that I know that about you. Cause I've seen you cheer on every single one of us and one of our friends forever. So I, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. <laughs> That's- 
thank you so much for yeah, coming on the podcast. This is such a lovely conversation. And I had no idea what we were going to talk about, <laughs> but it was such a joy to speak with you and see your beautiful face. And thank you so much for sharing this moment. Yes. Same to you. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Hey, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What Moves You with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram at What Moves You with Jesse. Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at WhatMovesYouWithJesse.com. And please rate and review the show and let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment for what truly moves you.